A reading from Matthew 5, 1-12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up a mountain. He sat down, and his disciples came to him. He taught them, saying, Happy are people who are hopeless, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are people who grieve, because they will be made glad. Happy are people who are humble, because they will inherit the earth. Happy are people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, because they will be fed until they are full. Happy are people who show mercy, because they will receive mercy. Happy are people who have pure hearts, because they will see God. Happy are people who make peace, because they will be called God's children. Happy are people whose lives are harassed because they are righteous, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are you when people insult you and harass you and speak all kinds of bad and false things about you, all because of me. Be full of joy and be glad, because you have a great reward in heaven. In the same way, people harass the prophets who came before you. The Word of the Lord. We are a community that loves like Jesus, and my hope and my prayer is that this would be a transformative space for you, not just today, but every time you tune in. Today we are continuing our sermon series called The Sermon on the Mount, and today's sermon is titled, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. And this is number four of the B attitudes. It says this, happier people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness because they will be fed until they are full. The NIV translation says this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Another verse that I want to consider in this sermon is 1 John 5, 21. Little children, guard yourself from idols. Well, that verse seems to be a little bit disconnected, but it's not. They are related, and we're going to talk about idolatry, so I want you to stick this verse off to the side for just a moment. But first, let's talk about spiritual sickness. There is such a thing. There's spiritual health, but there also is spiritual sickness. Now, one thing that I have learned in my training for like exercise training and nutrition studies is this. My taste buds are not an accurate guide to what is healthy and what is not healthy. So I love going to a good burger joint, and I hope you you all do too. Just going to a burger joint is just fun. And one of those really greasy ones I'm talking about, taking in that double-double burger and fries and washing it all down with a good Coke, right? Well, when I lived in North Idaho and I would go into Spokane, Washington, which is right next door um, to North Idaho, there's a place called Dick's Burgers. And they were cheap, they were greasy, and they were good. And they used to sell burgers by the pack, literally like a package of burgers. And I had a friend that would buy a dozen, a dozen burgers, and put them up on the dash of his car for the week in the summer when he would work. And he would eat them through the week as they were kept warm on the dash of his car. Now that just sounds disgusting. So could you imagine though, when those burgers were fresh, what that was like going in? I mean, on your taste buds, a tasty and greasy and yummy, lots of ketchup and fries and the whole bit, right? Now imagine what that was like coming out. 
what that would feel like in your gut. So again, my taste buds definitely are not an accurate guide to what is healthy and what is not. So if you want to be on the road to health, you want a good meal that goes in and you want also the good meal to come out good and not have to pay the price for it. So something else has to be your guide. Now, even though that example is gross, right? At some point in your life, when it comes to what you consume, the reason part of your brain has to kick in, not just the reptilian part, but the part that reasons things through has to engage. And we have to learn to curb our desires and curb our cravings and our appetites for things that are not healthy. So this is true for the body and also is analogous and true for the soul. There are cravings that we have that we can't just give in free reign to. If we consume too much of different cravings, they will literally make us spiritually sick. So we are born hungry. We're born needy. And at the core of our being, there are non-negotiable cravings that we have that need to be satisfied and fulfilled. So one of these is like the sense of feeling and experiencing love. So the need of the sense of being loved is a non-negotiable in a human being. Another one would be the need to feel significant, that our lives actually matter and have some sense of purpose to them. Another would be the feeling of security or the feeling, let's say, of safety, that when I approach another or when I engage in an activity, I actually am not going to feel unsafe or, the, or insecure in that activity. So there's a dimension to our soul in these realms that only God can meet. So a theologian once said that our heart is restless until we find rest in God. And I absolutely love that because these non-negotiable cravings in our life really can only be found in God. So God created us this way, almost like a homing device that leads to God. And so we will be healthy to the degree that we seek after a relationship with Jesus. Our innermost need of love, our innermost need of significance and purpose, and our security and safety is fulfilled by God, ultimately satisfied by God and God alone. So this lack of fulfillment that we experience can be fulfilled through our thirst from the one that can fulfill. Yet instead of this, we try all kinds of things to fulfill these non-negotiables. We try to fulfill our life with other things. We try to live in the, if only, if only I had more, if only I could do this, or I had this or that, or could do that. We, we try to fulfill with the if onlys in our life. It's what I call, the, and what psychology actually calls, the treadmill of hedonism. The hedonic treadmill basically works like this in psychology. As you run your treadmill and you make progress in life, so let's say the treadmill and you're running on the treadmill represents your rising income level over your life. As you increase your level of wealth on the treadmill and by running through life, there's literally no increase in happiness. You become just used to that next level. Your joy remains stable and you never increase your happiness, never, and it doesn't increase as you increase because it's the hedonic treadmill. You're just running through life and things increase and you just become used to that 
increase. Well, the challenge also that we have today in this concept is with connectivity. We, a lot of times, lose our chance to be present and lose our chance of joy in a moment because we're hyper-connected. We're hyper-connected and we lose ourselves in trying to find something satisfying in our, in our scrolling or being disappointed in our lacks based on another person's posting. In the same sense, it's like that treadmill we're running on, that the more that we ingest, the more that we take in of, of the created things, we just become, in a sense, dissatisfied, and also we then have a lack of joy. Well, it's a difficult place that we are in because, like technology, for example, is important. It sometimes is crucial to do certain parts of life, and, and it can be used for the greater good, and it's an important tool. Yet we can become very dissatisfied through the use of it. We can actually become hurt through seeing all the, if only I had this or that, that passed through our feeds. And if many times we disconnect ourselves from being present, we're disconnecting ourselves from human to person to person, human to human interaction because we're drawn into maybe a secondary conversation that's disconnected from the moment. Well, there's a biblical word that I want to just connect all of this with is whether or not we just are striving for more and really that striving doesn't satisfy anything or we're just striving for more and that striving actually becomes a cause of dissatisfaction that our joy is, is taking a nosedive and we just keep striving for more to try to, try to become uh, happy or become more full of joy, but it's not working. The things that we strive for that we're trying to meet a need that only God can fill is called idolatry. An idol is anything we use to play a God role in our life. And it can be anything. It can be our wealth, but it can be like, like our, I've seen people addicted to physical fitness, like it's just an addiction to them. Or it could be something simple like stuff, like, like toys that are supposedly to make us happy, like the, the, the big kid toys, right? in our life. Anything that tries to take a God role in our life or tries to satisfy that need is called an idol. So we worship these created things. And Romans tells us, the book of Romans tells us that they turn from the creator and turn to, to creation to worship things. And I see that in our culture today, that, that this over here wasn't satisfying enough, so we have to strive to have bigger and better and more of stuff. And in and of themselves, the stuff is not evil. I mean, things that are fun are not evil. But yet, if we're trying to satisfy some innermost desire of security or, or our purpose or, or whatever, if we're trying to satisfy love even with stuff, then those things are ultimately what we're attributing ultimate worth to and trying to acquire ultimate worth from. And that's the definition of the idol in which we worship. It's functionally our God. And anything can become our idol if we're trying to feed off of it. So what I'm saying here is not this, that if you strive for something, you're somehow in sin. 
We're all to strive for something, and it's important to try to gain and to strive for being greater or better or more skilled or increasing our, our, our knowledge. Or let's say you're idolizing, I'm not saying you're idolizing something if you're just trying to accomplish something in your life. You, if, if you're addicted to education, then I think we, we probably need to sit down and talk. But if you're just trying to accomplish an education, that's not an idol in your life. That's simply not what I'm saying. But if you're trying to replace something that God is supposed to satisfy, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. So in Proverbs 35, it says this, those who find me find life. They gain favor from the Lord. Those who offend me injure themselves. In a sense, they become spiritually sick. So if you find fullness from the wisdom of God, then we will be spiritually healthy. But if we don't find it from the true source, then we will become spiritually sick and unable to find satisfaction. Now, as a caveat, this is different for everyone. Everyone is unique in what they want and desire and crave. Ultimately, we have some non-negotiables, is what I talked about, love and and purpose and and satisfaction in, in our purpose and also our safety. Those, yes, are non-negotiables, but everyone's different in what satisfies them. So we need to take a deep look at ourselves and say, why am I participating in this? What am I doing this for? Why am I acquiring these things? Or what am I striving for in my life? Because the very act of turning away from God the very act of turning away from God and towards the things of life, trying to fulfill ourselves through temporary stuff, is the act of spiritual death. And I believe this is why our culture is the way that it is currently. And I would say that when we literally turn away from the promise of eternity and ultimate satisfaction, when we turn away from that promise of eternal life, that's what I believe is is the definition of hell. And we don't, we don't want to go there. We don't want to be there in our eternity. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What is the meaning of this beatitude? I have a meaning of spiritual sickness, and idolatry creates spiritual sickness. But what about this righteousness thing? Am I supposed to counteract my spiritual sickness with something called righteousness? Well, what is righteousness? Well, the challenge that we have with understanding this verse is we think as Western people in moral categories. We put morality in boxes, and we say that person is righteous, or this act is righteous. So the very act of somebody's behavior, like an act of goodness or a or a good deed, that good deed makes a person, or that bad deed makes that person good or bad. It's a moral category, righteous or unrighteous. And so when somebody does something that meets my standard of moral category, then I declare that righteous. Or if they fall below my, my standard of moral category, then I would declare that unrighteous. And so righteousness and, and unrighteousness, according to my moral categories, is subjective to what I think is good and bad. Well, the biblical idea of righteousness encompasses, yes, moral categories according to God's standards, 
but yet goes way beyond this understanding. You are not unrighteous when you make a mistake. You are still considered righteousness in Christ because righteousness is a covenantal concept. You are righteous when you keep covenant with another. So you're righteous when you are rightly related to your covenantal partners. So at the core of this biblical concept, you have right relationship or you're rightly related. So you are righteous according to the Bible when you are rightly related to God, when you're rightly related to yourself, you are rightly related to others, and you are rightly related to the earth and the create creation within it. So when you're getting when you're getting your core fulfillment from God, it empowers you to be to experience fulfillment from fulfillment from God, but also to be fulfilled with yourself. Therefore, give to others and take care of the earth and everything in it. So when I'm righteous in these realms, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. When God is reigning in my life this way, then the way of my life, the way that my life looks is righteous. So we need God to fulfill righteousness. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is explaining this righteousness and is the expression of righteousness righteousness himself. So in order to fulfill such a thing, righteousness, we first need God to fulfill something in our life. He needs to work in our lives and to and to declare forgiveness and to declare relationship. And so Jesus Christ the Savior is our right relatedness with God. And so when we have a relationship with Christ and we are in Christ, we have been empowered to be like Christ and his righteousness. So John 6.35 says this, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So Jesus is saying that he is the one that we are hungry for, and he is the one that we are thirsty for, and he is the great satisfier of our ultimate non-negotiable needs that we need fulfillment, to be loved, have significance, and to be secure. Well, later in John 6, he tells us to consume him, to eat his flesh and to drink his blood. So to consume Jesus basically means to cultivate a relationship with Jesus, to model our life after the self-sacrificial life of Jesus. Well, our society that is consumed with anxiety and depression and hurt and rage, much of that, and not all of that, but much of it is caused because we are clinging to the things that do not satisfy. We're clinging to things that we think will satisfy our cravings, but they're not God. And so we're trying to satisfy desperate desires that are, can, can never be ultimately fulfilled. Only God can fulfill those desires. So here's our application. If in our relationship with God, we would believe God and really meditate on God day and night about the promises that he tells us, the names and the affirmations that God calls us, the security that God gives us, 
the promises of future and the promises of provision and the promises of fulfillment that God has declared. If we would at minimum just ask God to help us even believe what God promises, then I think that we would probably probably think differently of God and we would think differently of ourselves. Well, if we then embrace the practices of taking care of what the Bible calls our temples, if we embrace taking care of our bodies, finding rest in life, curbing our sin, finding practices of mindfulness to get our heads straight, getting emotionally healthy and doing the work of, let's say, counseling and therapy, and the hard work of looking deep in ourselves to find the ultimate truth within ourselves that we are truly the image of God. I believe that then we would start to think differently about who we are and how we think of ourselves as well. Well, then our perspectives would change. I believe that our perspectives would change about others. We would embrace grace as a normal practice. We would learn to love mercy like the Bible teaches us to do justly and to love mercy and celebrate forgiveness of others and to others we would truly learn that people are doing the very best that they can with what they have been given, quoted by Brene Brown. And then I believe the world would change. Even if it wasn't just your little world, I believe that we would be filled. Happier people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness because they will be fed until they are full. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the righteousness that you promise us through Jesus. Lord, we desire to have a relationship with Jesus, and as you promise us many things, you promise us a future, you promise us a fruitful present, and you promise that we are your image, that we're called saints, and that we are saved. Lord, help us to look at you and look at ourselves and look at others and look at the earth, Lord, and to give to it and to be fulfilled in it. Lord, we just desire that you would fulfill us ultimately in in love and purpose and security. Lord, that we then could go out into the world and be a change. That we can go out into the world and as we love you, that we would learn to love others as we love ourselves, In Jesus' name we pray, amen.